you'll think of one by the end. Uh, turn your Bible, if you would, head to Colossians chapter 2, and uh, we're going to look at verses 1 to 10. Last week, uh, we spent some time looking at God's purpose in us and our position in God, or vice versa, our position in God, which leads us to our purpose and God's purpose in us is to glorify God. And uh, hopefully we understand that in that, uh, we've been sent, we've not been paused, we didn't get saved so God could put us on pause. Uh, we're not like a... Um, what are those little ceramic sculptures of little kids um, that they have, the little dolls that everybody... Hummels. Yeah, everybody has a Hummel. Does anybody have a Hummel in their house? <laughs> okay, Kathy has a Hummel. But, you know, what, what do they do? Has the Hummel ever vacuumed your living room for you? No. Has it ever fixed a meal for you in your house? No, but, but it sits on the mantle or it sits on the shelf and it looks... You know, you go by and you say, oh, it's still there. It's never changed its expression. It's never done anything. Some people believe that their faith in Christ is like that. They got saved and then God put them on the saved shelf. And now they're just a hummel hanging around. Uh, we've not been called to be paused, but we have a purpose. And uh, in all that we do, in all that we say, in all that we think, our purpose is to glorify God. And we spent some time last week looking at that. This week, we're going to look at this letter, or a portion of this letter that Paul wrote uh, by the Holy Spirit's inspiration. He uh, wrote this from the luxurious quarters of the Roman prison cell, which is a hollow inner rock uh, down underneath. you got to go through a little hole to get down to this room, and uh, it has a tiny bit of light that comes in through uh, another opening in the rock. I got to see it when I was uh, in Rome with my mom years back. And uh, I looked down in there, I was like, wait a second, this is like a pit. This is, there's nothing, where, where's the TV? You know, in America, we got prisons, they get TV and they get two hots in a cot, you know, and there's a doctor and there's a psych that comes around and checks them out to make sure they're not having a bad time while they're in jail. And uh, they get to have workout in the outside and, you know, they can do programs and they get all kinds of interaction and they can have conjugal visits with their family members or whatever, their, their spouses or wives. And Mark, yeah? That's California jail. Yeah, it's California prison. Like it might be a little different in uh, Pennsylvania and some other places. But um, uh, Paul was not in a luxurious suite. He was in a little pit in a hole in the ground. If you got fed, it was because you had people that you knew or that knew you that would bring food by and they would actually feed you. There was no guard that delivered a tray of food at a certain time or gave you a bag lunch while you were in the cell. And yet from that place, his, his heart is not about, oh, I'm just having a bad day. I'm having a terrible time. Oh, life is just rotten. I'm falsely accused. I'm stuck in a prison cell. Everything's going wrong. None of that comes out of him. In the book of Colossians, in the book of Philippians, uh, in the book of Philemon that he, he wrote from that very place, uh, you get none of that. And Colossians was written at the same time, roughly, as the book of Ephesians, the book of, book of Philemon. And it was probably sent by Tychicus and Onesimus uh, together. They probably went to Colossae, delivered this letter, and then Onesimus went back to his former uh, owner, Philemon, and delivered the letter from Paul to him. That's a short book, and if you remember what it's about, you would understand why Onesimus would carry that back. And Tychicus probably went on to Laodicea to uh, tell them as well. So we have something written here that's by God's Holy Spirit. It's not a product of circumstance. It's not a product of inspiration of Paul's surroundings. He's not out on a Mediterranean uh, a beach house uh, with a porch and a view and a cup of iced tea at hand and, and just uh, freedom to write. He's writing because the Holy Spirit has put this into his heart and into his mind. It inspired him to put down on paper what God wanted the church at Colossae and the church at Laodicea to hear. It was essential things that they needed to hear. He doesn't fluff around. He doesn't talk about how's the weather, you know, how's everybody doing, have you got any new bread recipes 
or you know what's going on he he just dives into some of the most essential things and i think that was consistent with his position he didn't know if he was going to live or die he had appealed to nero he was going to go before nero and as we know nero was not a nice guy right could you really expect justice from nero no not so much in fact nero would later kill him in the first go he cut him loose for a bit but then he would eventually kill him and paul would meet jesus uh, in that opportunity but this uh, passage specifically i want to hem in on today is uh, chapter 2 verses 1 uh, through 10 so let's read that together and we'll see where we go from here Chapter 2 of the book of Colossians. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ." As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ." For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Paul starts off here. Now the church uh, that he's writing to, the church at Colossae, and then he mentions also the church at Laodicea. Does anybody else that name ring a bell? Do you think of anything else that happens in the Bible with the church at Laodicea? Huh? Yeah, Revelation 3, 14 through 19. They're, they're, Christ writes them a letter. Christ sends the church at Laodicea, which is in the area of Phrygia, uh, Colossae, and Laodicea are in that area. And uh, he sends them a letter. Christ, the amen, the so be it, uh, sends them a letter and says, listen, you guys are lukewarm. I wish that you were cold. I wish that you were hot. He says, but since you're neither cold nor hot, he says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. He says, it's distasteful. It's rotten. And interestingly enough, in Laodicea, there was a river, a hot spring that comes up out of the mountain, blends into a stream, and together the water that flows down into the city is lukewarm. Now, can you imagine on that hot summer day, you got sweat pouring off your body. You've been out working in the field. You just need a drink of cold water. You walk over, you dip your cup into that river, you tip it up, and it's about 91 degrees. How'd that feel? It might actually be more healthy for you than really, really cold water. Uh, not refreshing, though. It's not like you really want to dive in and swim it around. And Christ was using an actual physical condition of that town and that area to write a letter to the church, which is a letter to us. And the Laodicean church is the seventh of the letters. It's that last church. And in terms of uh, the ages of the church as you go along from the first church that he writes to and you start looking, there's actually a progression that leads to where we seem to be today. Is where the American church seems to be today. Is we're all about uh, the social aspects of church, but we're not hot to tell anybody about Jesus. And it would be better, it's that blend of religion and the world that come together into a lukewarm, uh, just spew out of your mouth mess, is what Christ says. Now this is the church he's writing to, and I think it's significant that he writes first and he gives them direction that had the church followed it, they never would have gotten to the lukewarm state. 
So there's something in here that we can pay attention to that will help us from being in the state that the church of Laodicea ended up in by the time Christ writes to them. So let's go through it. He writes to the two churches, and then he also mentions those who he had not yet met. Those I've not yet seen in the flesh. Since those churches have been established and his missionary journeys carried him through those areas, uh, new people have been added to the church. Folks had come in, gotten saved, joined in, and in both places, and he's writing to all three. And he says, uh, I have this great conflict. I have this great struggle for you. The Greek word refers to a fight. It's actually a battle. He says, I I'm struggling for you. I'm pulling for you. And, and I think that's it's interesting because he's in a cell in Rome, and yet they're on his mind. I saw the cell he was in, and I'm thinking, I might be thinking about myself in the cell. Not so much somebody out there that's free, someone that's walking around, someone that gets to make their own choices. I'm stuck in a cell. It'd be real tempting to keep my thoughts about myself in the cell. But Paul, he says, I have a struggle for you guys. I, I, I want you to get what I'm going to teach you here. I want you to understand what I'm teaching you here. And that asked me the question for myself, who do, who do I struggle for? Who am I wrestling with God for? Do you remember Jacob in uh, Genesis 32? Jacob, boy, he, he got in that wrestling match with Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ, and wrestled. Mark? You struggle with those people that you leave in the Lord. Well, that's right. That's where our hearts should be because we're sent. We're not paused. We're not a hummel on the shelf. We've been sent, and we've been sent not to just go out and pat people on the back. We've been sent to tell them about Jesus. We've been sent to tell them the good news of the gospel. That's our job. That's what we're to do. Who do we struggle with? How much struggle is in our life for the lost family member in our house? The wayward child. Are we struggling for that child? Are we struggling in prayer for that child? Are we struggling for those lost family members that have never met Jesus? Are we struggling for our coworker that's never met Jesus? Paul, Paul's saying here, and he's not doing it to pat himself on the back. He says, uh, I, I want you to know I've got a battle going on because I'm struggling for you guys. I want to see you grow. We'll, we'll see what he points them to here as we go. In verse 2, uh, let's look at verse 2. And he gives some, uh, some characteristics here of what maturity in Christ is. Whether it be a little bit mature or a lot mature, look what he says. That their hearts may be encouraged. That's one. That's a mark of maturity is that your heart is encouraged. Two is being knit together in love. That's a mark of maturity. Have you ever noticed in little kids, how are they with sharing? Oh, no, it's natural, right? They're sinless, right? Little kids. No, they got a sin nature right from the moment they were conceived. And it shows up the minute they can open their mouth. No! And ah! they scream and they take something away from a little kid. Say, hey, we got to eat now. Here, let me put that on the shelf. And you take it away from little, whatever their name is. I have to be careful because I get seven of them running around. If I throw one of their names out, all the rest are going to go, uh-huh. I knew it. I knew it was that one. Um, Black sheep in the kid before he even gets started. But you reach down and you go, here, let's put that over here. <laughs> they do their little stomping thing. Uh, one of them the other day, uh, his mama told him to do something. And the kid did like an inverted half twist and flop on the ground. I don't even know how he did it. My back hurt from just watching him do it. He like spun himself around and threw himself down in the same thing and then began screaming. And I was like, what's that all about? I told him he couldn't do whatever. I go, oh, wow. Look at that sin nature in that kid. But to be knit together in love, to have a heart that can be encouraged, and then the third thing, attaining to all riches of the full assurance of the understanding. Now, this, can, this one can get long, so make sure you got it. Attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God. There's the heart of that sentence. To the knowledge of the mystery of God. To have the full assurance of that understanding. Maturity in Christ is to know that you are saved. 
Maturity in Christ is to know that Christ accomplished the salvation work in you completely and you can't make it better and you can't fix it and you can't throw it away. He did the work. He did the work in you. To have that assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God and then it explains it further for us, both of the Father and of Christ. And then look at, Christ has a footnote. Verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How many of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ? All. Except which ones? Except which ones? There's got to be a couple exceptions, right? It says all, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's a pretty inclusive kind of a thing, isn't it? Yes. I always uh, joke uh, when I'm getting accused uh, of perhaps doing something I shouldn't do. And someone says, every time you do that. And I said, are you sure it was every time? Maybe there was that one time I didn't do that. You know, and my mama, long, long time ago, she used to say, you know, you're just a guardhouse lawyer. I said, I don't have a law degree. <laughs> see, see, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> exactly that. But in Christ is hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if you want the valuable wisdom in life, and the valuable wisdom and the knowledge, where are you going to go? To the world? How about Spock? How about the dude that wrote the book, Spock? How is his knowledge base? How did it work in his he life? He didn't have any kids. Well, no, he did. One committed suicide. What? Yeah, yeah. His, uh, his How to Raise a Kid book. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it didn't work out really good. He had a kid, and the kid committed suicide. Uh, so that's probably not a real good uh, reference point for the book. Yeah, it's not really, you know. Or uh, Nishi, or one of those guys, you know, with the philosophers of our world. Or um, Mein Kampf by uh, Hitler. Uh, some of those guys with their own philosophy and their own wisdom and their own knowledge. Uh, let me tell you what, against God, it doesn't stack up. It doesn't make it. But as maturity of a believer, where you find yourself in maturity is you find yourself at God's word. You find yourself depending on God's spirit. And you find yourself depending on truth, not just what's culturally relevant not just what's culturally acceptable within our world. If you accept what's culturally, I told you a couple weeks ago, when someone comes into the jail, the nurse has to ask them all the questions. And she goes, okay, well, how do you identify what gender are you? And, uh, and uh, you think that's simple, right? You know, I think it's pretty simple. You're gonna be male or you're gonna be female. There are 19 categories of what you can be. You know what and then there's an other in there as well. They should ask them how many Y chromosomes and how many X chromosomes yeah. do you have. Because if you that's where it comes down to, right? Girl, DNA. DNA, right? DNA comes right where God created, where God put it. But no, you can be binary, you can be alien, you can be terrestrial, that's you can craziness. be uh, X, you can be non-binary, you can be. Uh, uh, hetero, uh, homo, whatever, and they go down the list. Oh, it's sad. Mark, go ahead. I think it's mostly only in California, Oregon, Washington, or something. I don't know. It's like a left-leaning thing. Uh, unfortunately, it's, uh, there's a statement that's been reiterated over and over again. As California goes, so goes the nation. And uh, that attitude is coming actually out of federal government, and it's coming through... Uh, California is just like a test bed is we're putting all these policies in place. We're making California a sanctuary state, but these attitudes are at a national level all over. Mark, I mean, Paul, go ahead. I have a saying, it's, it's comedy hour. <laughs> it's sad. It's sad. So, maturity in Christ comes. Your heart be encouraged, and how's it going to be encouraged? It's going to be encouraged through God's Word. It's going to be encouraged by the truth of God's word. Being knit together in love. You know what that requires? That requires real love. Daily I run into people who their love usually ends up with bloody noses and black eyes. That's not love. That's not love. 
parents who tell their kids, you're a piece of garbage and I hate you and I wish I never had you. That's not love. That's not love. Christ died for the ungodly. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. Go ahead, Paul. There's a scripture that says, uh, Woe unto them that say, saith evil is good and good is evil. And we're seeing that in that, what they're doing now. We're in it right now. We're seeing it right now. Now, Paul has reason for what he's sharing with the church and uh, what he's telling them. Um, first, let me go back to that knit in love thing. Uh, someone look in your Bible, someone who's quick on your fingers, go to Ephesians chapter 4.16. I want to focus just a half a second on that word knit uh, together. Some Bibles may say compacted. Some Bibles may had tied together or some other uh, way to phrase that. But the word in the Greek has a very specific uh, connotation or, or usage here. And it's in Ephesians 4.16 as well. So anybody got it? 4.16. Go ahead. <clears throat> from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in in love man that includes everything yeah it's every little piece put together so if a feller forgot to stop at a stop sign the other day on highway 70 at pacific heights and uh, he was going about 55 and uh, the pickup truck did stop for the stop sign that was in front of him so the guy in the minivan that didn't stop he hit the truck and then he did stop and uh, when he did stop i got out and uh, went over there to see him and he said i want to get out and i want to sit down and uh, took a look at his leg. You ain't getting out and you ain't sitting down. Just sit tight till we get some medics here. And we got a stretcher. We pulled him out. And uh, he'd broken his femoral bone uh, about mid-shaft. And uh, that's not a good one. And uh, so we kind of swing him out. And he's crying and screaming. And, and we get him onto the gurney. And his leg is going like that. Like about right here. It's heading this direction. It was not fitly joint together. It was not knit together. And I could tell you, well, I took his shoe off because we had to put a Sager, which is a traction splint on him. And the medics, and I was helping him out a little bit because I had a little experience in that. And uh, so we're putting that on. It's got to go around the ankle and then you preload it with 10% of the body weight and stretch it out. And as soon as you do, it pulls that bone uh, back and stretches those muscles out and they're no longer contracting and, and pulsing and causing all kinds of dilemmas and potentially ripping air, uh, femoral arteries apart and all that stuff. And, uh, but I can tell you that he was not gonna walk on that foot for quite some time. He was not gonna kick a soccer ball with that foot. There, it was not knit together, yet the rest of his body was pretty intact. He made it pretty good uh, through that. The problem was I don't think he had a seatbelt on, and so he slid forward. His knee hit the uh, uh, dashboard and just popped this bone right here. The biggest bone in your body, uh, super sturdy, but his was broken. And uh, as we were pulling that, and as I read this verse, and I read the verse out of Ephesians that you just read, um, knit together, hearts knit together in love. Um, being tied together in love or knit together, fit together. And as that illustration of the body works, man, if you got a broken leg, you, you ain't going running anytime soon. In fact, I've seen people that get a broken finger and they're not going running anytime soon. It's just the movement of their body uh, doesn't work. And it's kind of nice when everything actually works together, right? If you want to do something yeah. and you know, you can actually move all your fingers and your hands and your arms and legs, that all works together. Well, the body of Christ is a body that's supposed to function like that. But if you've got an elbow that's trying to leave the room while the rest of the body's doing something different, it's just not going to work out real good. And like that guy's situation there. And that knit together means that you got to have a body function. It's where everything's working towards a goal. What is the goal? What's the purpose? Glorify God. Glorify God. It's for the edification of the whole, which is the head is Christ. It's the whole. 
of the body. And yet in a lot of churches, what do you get? Well, somebody wants to, yeah, I want to be in charge of this. And I'm going to be in charge of that. And uh, boy, when it comes to potluck, my pie's got to sit on the corner. And uh, mine's got to have front, front place. Well, how was my fried chicken? And the people are, you, you thought you got called by one of them telephone surveys. You know, you hadn't even taken a bite yet, and they're over there at your plate. Well, how's my fried chicken? Is it the best fried chicken you ever had? I said, leave me alone. I'm trying to eat my fried chicken. It's my fried chicken now. It's not your fried chicken anymore. You just see so many churches get caught up in that garbage where it's not knit together in love. We've forgotten a purpose. We've forgotten a purpose. We need that maturity. And then to know. Now, why he says this, why Paul tells them, it's right here. It's in verse 4. And uh, this is really important to understand because Paul is telling them this by the Holy Spirit because false teachers have come in and they claim to have special knowledge and secret wisdom. They, they claim to have an inside scoop. Well, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got the inside scoop. It's called the Holy Spirit. He's going to do for you what God would have you do. He's going to put into your life God's word as you read it and with an understanding of how it will function within you to glorify God. But unfortunately, in every cult, you'll find special knowledge, secret knowledge, hidden wisdom. And these uh, false teachers that came into the church in Colossae and Laodicea, that's what they brought in. You know, if you just eat this, you'll be a real good Christian. And if you just... Don't say that, you'll be a real good Christian. Lori and I were listening to a feller, it was a short little clip of a pastor, and he was going on about how women dressed in the church. And uh, he, you know, you need to be modest, and he's given the, I don't disagree with that sentiment. Uh, but this guy just proceeded like for five minutes to blast all the gals. And he says, yeah, you come in here and you're making these men think about something other than the word of God. I was like, well, how about them men got a problem because they should keep your eyes on the word of God. Is, you know, don't look, Jesus said, on a woman with lust in your heart. He says, you know, the, the law says do not commit adultery. But Jesus said, I tell you, if you look with lust in your heart, you already committed adultery. Because he knew about who we are. He knows about who we are. And this pastor was lamb blasting the gals in the church. And I was kind of like, well, I don't like that. He, he never need to be equal time. Is there need to be young men and men with standards and stuff? And I don't know if anybody caught it just this last week. Uh, one of the Hillsong pastors of a Hillsong church somewhere stood up and talked about how he had had a little, he had committed a little adultery. And uh, then the girl stood up and she said, yeah, I was 16 years old. It wasn't a little adultery. It was sexual abuse of a child that continued for years and then he finally got caught, so he tried to cushion it a little bit. And then when she stood up and said, yeah, I was 16 years old, uh, then the pastor tendered his resignation. He shouldn't have been in that place in the first place. He shouldn't have been there. Paul says, I'm telling you this. He says, lest anyone deceive you. Verse 4. Lest anyone deceive you with what? Say it. It's in the Bible. Say it. With what? Persuasive words. Persuasive words. Persuasive words. I am so glad I did not persuade you to Christ because if I did, someone else could persuade you away from Christ. Smooth talkers. Yeah. Smooth talkers. See, here's the problem. If a human could persuade you to salvation, then a human can persuade you away from salvation. Salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. I can tell you the gospel. I can present God's word. I can present the law of God. I can present the salvation message of God's word. But it's up to the Holy Spirit to do that work inside a person's heart. It's up to the Holy Spirit to bring forward, bring forward that conviction that leads to a confession and repentance within us that's a work that remains. There's so many people that are persuaded by just words. Look at our country today. Our country is persuaded by just words of talking heads that don't even know how to change the oil on their car. 
And yet they're telling you how to raise your children, how to run your house, how to teach your children, what to believe, where to go, what to do. They've never done it in their life. They get paid to sit in front of a camera and talk to you with smooth talk, persuasive words. This the, Bible says, beguile you with enticing words. Beguile is a lovely word. It is. It is a lovely That's word, a but it's nice, an older English word. Nice word and if you pull that word out in Save Mart, uh, people will avoid your aisle. They will go to a different aisle and start shopping. I'm afraid this advertisement has me beguiled. And, and people will just like scatter from you. Hitherto and yon. Nobody has a vocabulary these days. Not so much anymore. I know. Paul didn't do the work of persuading them to Christ, but he understands that people can be persuaded by persuasive words. And he says, I, I, I'm telling you what you need to be in Christ. I'm telling you how you need to live in Christ. I'm telling you how to function in Christ because this is the only way you won't be smooth talked. This is the only way you won't be persuaded. Has anybody in their life ever bought something as a result of smooth talking that you just totally got scammed on? It slices, it dices, <laughs> Blue screens. TV at night, blue yeah. screen. Yeah. When they sell it with a blue screen and for only $1 more, you can get two of them. Yeah. That's usually a clue that it's pretty smooth talking. Uh, one time, I bought a hot tub. It was a fantastic... <laughs> yeah, yeah it, was, it was a cool hot tub. It was wood grain finish. Luxurious four-person hot tub with... Uh, bubbler or something in it and uh, boy the smooth words in there were just fantastic and it was only $59.99 shipping and I was like oh yeah sure for a truck to bring a hot tub and the box was this big what? it was a blow up oh, no. and it had this little uh, tube that you could blow in to make bubbles come out basically <laughs> oh my goodness it was a uh, I was like, yeah, I did it. I did it. Yeah. It, it was a, uh, a salesman that wanted to sell purifier, water purifier for the house. And he said, you get a free gift. You'll get a special gift just for listening to the deal. So he's going on and on with this, uh, you know, this will clean every bit of the stuff out of your water and you'll, you'll live forever and uh, you'll grow hair back where you're going bald. And he had all the promises in the world. I didn't care. I wanted the free gift because I was going to out-endure this guy to get that free gift. You know, he goes, okay, well, here you go. Here's your free gift thing. And uh, so I read it, and it says $59.99. No problem. It's got to come on a truck. I'm sure that's fair. That thing, you could have bought 100 of them for $59.99. Made in China. It wasn't even made in China. It was made on the way over. Persuasive words. Oh, verse five, for though I'm absent in the flesh, yet I'm with you in spirit rejoicing. And uh, when you see maturity in other believers, when you see maturity in the church, it is a cause for rejoicing. And, and the two things he notes is the good order and the steadfastness or the solidness of their faith. It, it, see, the key to verse two the key to being mature, to having their hearts encouraged, knit together in love, and attaining the riches of God's glory and righteousness and, and holiness and the wisdom and knowledge that he has, it's found right here. Um, the key to verse 4 is avoiding those persuasive words that would lead you astray. It's, it's found right here in this verse. Um, the good order and the steadfast faith, it's found right here in this verse, and it's faith in Christ. It's not faith in the, in the world. It's not faith in a system. It's not faith in a book. It's not faith in a TV show. It's faith in Christ. Y'all had faith when you came in this morning of a number of different types. Hopefully, y'all had faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But you had faith that the pews would hold you. I took all the screws out. I can't believe they haven't fallen down yet. But you didn't even check. 
Nobody came in and checked the pew to see what they were sitting on. Nobody put their hand on it, wiggled it a little. Everybody just plunked down right in the pew. Zach and I, we found some uh, chairs. I was cleaning up some stuff in the Brown Hall the other day. And uh, there's these old wooden uh, folding chairs. I mean, they're old. They got like wire running through them. And they got slats all put together. I bet they're 70 years old. And uh, we pulled one out. We go, that's kind of cool. And uh, we set it down. And man, I'll tell you what, I approached that with some caution. I put on a parachute. I was ready to jump <laughs> when that thing went. And I sat down. And I was like, whoa, actually pretty good. And Zach goes, yeah, a little wiggly, but it's not bad. Pretty solid. We didn't have faith in those chairs. <laughs> we worked our way to that faith. Go ahead, Paul. I sat in a chair about a year ago and it about killed me. Yeah, well, you threw yourself in the chair. I heard the whole deal. You just, you said, here I come, Lord. He said, no, you ain't you're leaving yet. Stay there. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you that actually that's uh, something that I've observed. Uh, the older we get, the more you tend to just flop into a chair rather than sit in a chair. And watch around at people and you'll see a lot of times folks will just kind of get in the general zone. They'll be like, okay, here I go. <laughs> you don't see them, you know, grab the arms and lower themselves, you, you know. You do that with a rocking chair. I have this rocking chair and you, 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 you really have to rock. Uh, Paul's was a rocking chair. It just wasn't a traditional rocking chair. Yeah. It, it rocked all right. It rocked him right out the back. Okay. So here we go. Here's, here's where it's found. Here's where the solution is. Here's where the, the preventative is. And it's in verses 6 and 7. This is the preventative to the persuasive words. This is the good order and steadfast faith is right here. And uh, let's read that again. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Yeah. Walking in him, rooted in him, built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Here's the solution. So as we've received Christ, well, how did we receive Christ? Oh, I went to church my whole life. Well, that didn't do it. I sang in the choir my whole life. Didn't do it. I uh, gave a lot of money in the offering. Didn't do it. I was a nice person. Didn't do it. Gave uh, money to the poor. Didn't do it. What got you to be a adopted into the family of God was the fact that the Holy Spirit talked into your heart and you knew you were a sinner and you needed a Savior. And you accepted the work that Christ Jesus did on the cross said, I need you as my savior. I surrender my life to you. And that's how we all got there. There's no other way. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. But the name of Jesus. That's it. That's the bottom line. But here the whole package comes together. Rooted in him. What good are roots? Glenda, you do a lot of gardening. Uh, you just uh, set those plants all up on top of the ground, right? Right. And they do all well by themselves, right? Yeah. Who wants to dig a hole and put dirt back around the bottom? You get your fingernails all plugged up with dirt. If you just set the plant, pull it out of that pot, and just set it up on the ground, how does it do? No they, die. they die. They die. Same thing happens if a plant uh, begins to spring up and is never exposed to any elements, just sits there in dead calm still. You take it out in the wind to give it a little sunshine someday. It's over. It's done. It has no strength to it. The cells have built no resistance. They haven't hardened uh, together. Rooted, deep roots are essential. Deep roots that draw nourishment up, that'll hold in any season or weather. Because here's the reality, and I don't know if you know it or not, but seasons change. Do you understand that? I mean, God shows us every year of our life, seasons change. And, and one morning you wake up and there's snow on the ground and it seems like two weeks later and it's 105. It, it just seasons change. And in life, seasons change. God may call you to one area. God may move you somewhere else. God may change what you're doing, how you're doing it, but you're still going to be doing it for his glory. And you're still going to be pursuing the same purpose. But the reality of a root is, is we have to be rooted in something that will allow us to draw nourishment from it. 
and we also need a struggle to be strong. Is that we will find in our life, if you're always protected and you, you got a helicopter mom chasing you around, is you'll never grow the strength you need to grow. You'll just be held back the whole time. Second thing, yeah. Yeah, we're still praying for you to get over the groaner of the day. Yeah. You, that's that last one. Yeah. I love the groaner of the day. I just had to make a little joke about that. But I, I love those things. Uh, I love that kind of sense of humor. That makes me laugh. And you're absolutely right. Ed. That's God's work in us. So rooted in him is number one. Built up in him is number two. Built up. And that's a cell upon cell growth process. It's a struggle upon struggle. It's a learning to depend on God in the hard times and in the good times. And when things are uh, going smooth, you don't turn away from God and say, I'll handle this myself. But you trust in him and you keep working in him and you find that he is faithful in everything. And then the third is to be established in the faith. Like I said, it's got to be faith in Jesus Christ. But faith, and I like to think of it this way in this illustration, because he's talking about a plant. And he's using a plant as something to get our attention, something that we can look out, we can see a tree, or we can see a plant growing. And the Holy Spirit's working through that, that analogy here for us. But faith is the soil that moves the nutrients to the root and gives us a grip in the storms of life. Faith is, is that that we have to hold on to. Faith is that that keeps the root anchored. If you just hang the roots in the air, they have nothing to grip. They have nothing to hang on to. They have nothing to draw from. And that faith is trusting God that he will deliver on what he said he will do. That he will continue to do what he said he can do. That you can trust him in every situation of life, in every challenge of life. No matter what changes, you can trust him whatever the storm is. Because you know he's faithful. He's always faithful. Said it before, I'll say it again somewhere down the road, I'm sure. If God has ever failed you, it'll be the first time and you'll be the first one ever. God has never failed. God will never fail his children. The confidence that we can have in Christ, it's not about us. It's about his power to save, his power to heal, his power to overcome, his power to shelter us, his power to soar with us. Isaiah 40, 31 says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So the biggest threat to a rooted built up and established believer. What do you, Mark, go ahead. I love that scripture that says he's going to finish what he started. In yeah, you. Paul says, I'm confident, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul's confidence. And you know what? He wrote that from the prison cell. Yeah. I'm confident of this very thing. And man, that's not circumstance driven. A lot of people, they're confident when circumstances are good. They're confident when they have the upper hand. But in Christ, you always have the upper hand because he has the upper hand. You can trust him. So the biggest threats, here they come. Uh, the biggest threats to a rooted, built up, and established believer is when you get your eyes off of Christ and you have someone come in and try to smooth talk you. And Verse 8 puts it like this. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the base principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So according to the tradition of men, well, we've always done it this way. We have to, we have to do this. You know, it's our tradition. This is what we do. Well, it's a good time to evaluate. When someone says that, it's a good time to evaluate whether that tradition is biblical 
or it's just a tradition. Now, there's nothing wrong with traditions. You can have traditions. Um, we, we have a lot, you know, that just seem to uh, function in our house. Um, every once in a while, and she's in there, so I can get away with this probably until you guys tell her that I'll be in a heap of trouble. But um, every once in a while, Lori will get to feeling a little um, underappreciated. And so me and the kids developed a system whereby we would acknowledge her um, achievements and her excellence in all things. And we would give her three cheers and we'd be driving down the road and she'd be having a bad moment. We'd go, okay, mom needs some cheers. Hip, hip, hooray, hip, hip, hooray. And all the kids would join in and we'd have this little uh, uh, hip, hip, hooray. She really hasn't grown into it yet to appreciate it that much. <laughs> but it usually got a smile out of her uh, at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, she was able to move on from that uh, to that part. But the philosophy of man... How has that worked out in the world? Oh boy. The great philosophers, I'm pretty sure they're all dead, you know, or, or dying or will die. Um, but the philosophies they've come up with, the vain deceit, I mean, forget philosophy, philosophy is the love of wisdom or the love of knowledge. So that's the pursuit. Why do we think like we are? What is man? What is the nature of man? Uh, what is my purpose? Why am I here? All these questions that man has. Uh, the Greeks loved to just sit around and just, you know, talk about it and kick it around. It drove Socrates to, uh, what, what was it he was drinking? What was it, hemlock or something or other? <laughs> it's like, man, this ain't working out real good. It just didn't work. Paul had a great conversation at Mars Hill, and they, their philosophy had led them to build altars to every god they could find. They, they just built an altar to everybody, and they, they got to the end. And anybody, anybody think of any more gods that we might have missed? Small G gods, of course. And uh, one of them finally came up with a brilliant solution to the unknown god. We'll make one because we don't know him yet, so we'll just go ahead and we'll have an altar to the unknown god. We can serve him too. Like Shamu had told us, my good friend, uh, is that in uh, Hindu uh, theology, there's 360 million gods you can choose from. You can have the God of rice, the God of salt, the God of flowers, the God of elephants, the God of the sky, God of the sun, God of, you know, and they just got these 360 and you just pick uh, uh, out of that, you pick the little pantheon of gods that you want to serve or you want to do. Well, Paul kind of came and talked to him. He says, fellas, I want to, on Mars Hill, he said, I want to tell you about the unknown God. You don't know him yet, but you're going to meet him here pretty quick. Everyone's going to meet him, regardless of which God you think you could choose. Man has always struggled against the knowledge of sin in their life. Man has always sought to divert that struggle and to grasp something that requires less than acknowledging that the God, the creator, must be acknowledged. Man says, well, I can do it myself. You know, I can be good enough. I can do good works. I can do good things. I can help people. I can, I can, you know, be religious. I can go through this process, that process, and certainly that'll be enough. I'm a good person. St. Peter be at the gate. I'll get up there. They'll weigh out my goods and my bads. Uh, and is that how it is, by the way, biblically? Is St. Is Peter up there at the pearly gate? Has he got a little scale and you come in, you get the little weigh job done? No, it's not at all. That's man's vain deceits, man's philosophies. If you just eat the right diet, you'll certainly go to heaven. If you just, uh, you know, go on the right day of the week, you'll certainly go to heaven. And there's been all these things of man's traditions and man's deceit. When it comes down to it, that, that's not where the wisdom of this world or the wisdom of God dwells. It dwells in Christ. And you'll always find that angled. We, we accept, uh, we don't. But the world accepts the theory of evolution. Why do they accept the theory of evolution? Vanity. Because man... Because somebody wants to bring glory to themselves instead of glory to God. Yeah. And to acknowledge the creator puts you in a position of responsibility is now I have to acknowledge that the creator is bigger than me and what he says goes. And so if I can blame it on a fish that crawled out, turned into a bird, flew up, turned into an ape, turned into me, then I'm okay. And, and it, so is it taught as theory? No, it's taught as fact. And our whole little uh, gender world that we're in right now is, uh, can you imagine some of those things that second grade, third graders are being taught? 
how to have safe sex at second grade. How, oh, it's just, it's, it's beyond the comprehension, especially when you know the knowledge of God and his word. God had something to say about it. Isaiah 55, 9. He said, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Paul gives the churches and the believers here in Colossae and Laodicea, he says he gives them, I find he gives them all they need. It's the right Savior. It's Jesus Christ. It's the right relationship with him. It's built, rooted and built up in him. He gives them the right nourishment. It's God's word. It's established in him. He gives them the right objective is to glorify God. He gives them the right warning is what to watch out for. And the interesting thing is he wasn't even there. But his struggle was for them. His heart was for them. So easy to become so centrist in our thinking that we are our world is it's just this little me and just my little house and just my little family and just my little and we build these walls and him herself in within the body of Christ those walls should never exist within the body of Christ those walls should never exist here his heart is for them in spirit yes he's not there in the flesh and the sad part is as the future went on um, the folks in Laodicea obviously didn't listen very good. They got rooted into the wrong soil. They put their faith into something that just melded religion and the world together. They gave Caesar more due than they gave God. Remember that's how Jesus divided it up. He said, render unto Caesar what's Caesar's. Render under God, what's God's? And to that end, I think Paul gives us, the Holy Spirit gives us a real good instruction here. In our relationship first, it's got to come at its very core rooted into Christ. Um, now I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. Uh, speaking of the world and churches melding together. Uh, California leading the way. Again, California, Mark, uh, leading the way. And uh, they have instituted a new 